Hi, this is Kat Gwynn. I'm the author of 10 Mile Radius, Reframing Life on the Path Through Cancer. Hi, I am uh, Pam Braun. I am the author of the Ultimate Anti-Cancer Cookbook. I'm also a 13-year cancer survivor of late-stage fallopian tube cancer. Wow. <laughs> I'm so impressed. I'm I'm three and a half years out from uh, going through very serious triple negative breast cancer. So I'm still in the um, watch carefully phase. <laughs> well, I, I think I've, I've spoken to you before. You never, in your head, you never really get out of that. <laughs> Even though I'm 13 uh, no. <laughs> years out, there's not a day that goes by that I am not aware of what I had and not grateful for what I have. I, I, you know, it's so funny. I feel, I think I feel the same way. Um, I don't take one day for granted and often I will meet people and they'll look at me and say, wow, you look great and you're cured. And I'm like, no, I'm not cured. And, and they said, well, won't you, won't there be a time where we'll call, call you cured? And I said, well, they could, but I think my oncologist would be much more um, prudent and say, when I hit that mark, which is five years with no reoccurrence, she'll say that my chances of cancer reoccurrence are the same as someone who has not had cancer. And she will continue mm-hmm. to watch me closely and I will continue to be grateful for each day. Absolutely. People talk about uh, the gift that cancer has given and I, boy, I totally, totally get that. Totally. It, it, it changed my life. It changed my life the moment, literally, I got diagnosed, like everything became crystal clear. What life's about, you know, how important it is, you know, it it became literally in the emergency room. I said, wow, I get it now. Because we take it for granted. And then suddenly, you know, it's the life isn't yours to take for granted anymore. You may lose it. It becomes crystal clear. At least it did for me. Oh, no, no, it did for me, too. Um, I mean, I have, I've come from a holocaust of cancer in my life. So in a weird way, when I was diagnosed, it felt slightly a relief, like, well, at least it's me and not someone else I love. And wow. um, so I had a good sense of what cancer does and how it can, it, it can just, you know, come in like wildfire and just take everything down. But it was interesting when it when I became the patient, there was this understanding, what you just so eloquently said, of knowing in that moment that this is it. This is my life. And the urgency became very clear. And it's weird. It's like when people say to me, well, if I got diagnosed with cancer, I would do this or I'd do that. And I say, you don't know what you would do. And you don't know what it feels like. It's something as I said, I've, I've gone through so much cancer as an advocate, losing my mother and all these very close, dear people in my life. And though I had an understanding, I didn't really know until it was me, you know? So I right. completely agree. It, it changed the moment I heard those. It, the, the results came back and it is cancer. I sort of feel like the gift of that is something that anybody in the world could really draw from is that gift of, of of understanding how mortal they are and maybe in that you start to see that the things that you waste your time on and the things that maybe you should put more of your attention towards um i think mortality is the best teacher i think you're probably right um you know i wrote my book 
and I was just going to ask you why you did yours, but um, I'll go first. Um, okay. I wrote my book because, first of all, I have a history of being the restaurant business, and I, I'm very comfortable in a kitchen. Food is just, first of all, it's very important to me. <laughs> Secondly, it's like a second nature to me, cooking. And I, the main reason I wrote my book was to pr- try to prevent someone from going through what I had to do. Because when I started researching, and I didn't know that much, I think I was like the average person. There's much more out there now than there was 13 years ago about food and cancer. But I didn't realize that one out of every three um, women is going to get it in her lifetime and one out of every two men And that being said, the experts are now saying that one-third of all those cancers could, actually two-thirds, if you add in just other lifestyle choices, could be prevented. And I thought, wow, not only do I want to do everything I can to save myself, but I'd really like to help the next guy. And I wrote this book for healthy people, for people who hadn't gotten it yet. Mm -hmm. But what I find is the people that are embracing it are the people who have already had it the people who are in treatment, because that line now between uh, preventing it and surviving it is just blurring. So they're finding that the same things that help you prevent it help you survive it too. So I'd say that most of the people who are buying my book are cancer patients or survivors, and I really would like to see it go into the mainstream where people take that more seriously. But I think until... You've heard those words, and until you've gone through it, you don't get it. Right, right. Well, and and the thing is, too, I would say that prior to me getting cancer, because, you know, I have such a, I really do have a hereditary cancer, and which I know is rare, and I also have a rare form of cancer, but I knew that, so I was pretty preventative prior to being diagnosed. Um, you know, I guess maybe I could have been more, but compared to the average person, I was already living a good lifestyle. So it wasn't that difficult for me now as I, you know, am coming out of treatment and, and I'm in recovery and coming in back in my life. I've just stepped it up a notch in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. eating well and, and certainly exercise and avoiding alcohol and stressful situations and all the things we know that can trigger and, um, but I think that, um, one of the reasons why I got through my treatment so well was because I was preventative prior to getting mm-hmm. cancer. I, I never missed a beat and I don't know if, you know, I'm sure we had different treatment protocols, but the treatment protocol for triple negative breast cancer is one of the hardest treatments of any type of cancer. It's long and it's brutal. And, um, I never missed a beat. I didn't know that at the time. I just assumed everyone just got through those 20 rounds of chemo and the, you know, all the, the 33 rounds of radiation and all the side effects. And my doctor later at the end said, it was incredible how well you just kept going. And I said, well, don't everyone? And she said, no, most people are, they, they get hospitalized, they get infections. Some people will have heart attacks and some people die. And she said, and you just kept ticking. And so she attributed Mm -hmm. that to the fact that I was strong and was prepared to actually be ill, you know? Uh Um, Mm -hmm. So there is something to be said that even if you do, because healthy people get cancer every day. 
That's another myth. People assume that that only unhealthy people get cancer. Absolutely not the truth. If you look at my my records, it says healthy woman. It's I mean it's right there in my medical records. So um, you know, and it's so people take heed. That that would be my point. Stay healthy. And then I also feel like because I I was equally healthy in an emotional and spiritual way to actually handle that. And that's something that we really don't talk about in our society. I think there's more of a conversation and an understanding about nutrition and exercise now, but there's far less of an understanding that the person who is emotionally trained, you know, to handle this is going to get through this in a much better way, you know, and even if the outcomes aren't positive, they have an understanding of how to sit with their mortality and release into their death, you know, and I think that the, all the years that I did, I I have been a meditation practitioner and have studied mm -hmm. the Dharma and been in therapy and, you know, been an artist and I sought, you know, to understand my other issues when I got diagnosed, it, I never realized how much it would be my nutrition, you know, to keep mm-hmm. me going. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, 13 years ago when I got diagnosed, there really wasn't much out there at all. And now they are incorporating uh, the mind, body, spirit into the healing process. I find mm-hmm. that most hospitals, cancer support centers, they do incorporate all of that meditation and yoga, and they didn't do that. So we are getting, I think, we're, we're progressing on that front much, much more than oh, when ab- I got it. Absolutely. And I'm just saying as a person who, who you know, wasn't just taking a weekend course, I mean, I've, I've been – meditating and studying Dharma in, and I'm not suggesting you don't have to be a Buddhist to do this, but there is, um, I had so many years under my belt of sitting on a cushion, so to speak. It's mm-hmm, more mm-hmm. than just, it's just touching on the idea of mindfulness. It's really understanding what mindfulness means. If I speak to people about what, a, what meditation is, often they assume that you sit on a cushion and you drop all thoughts and find your bliss. And that is not what meditation mm-hmm. is at all. Meditation is about sitting on a cushion and befriending yourself. And as the demons and the you know the, the monkey mind comes, you don't you you don't push it away. You see it for what it is, and you understand. And take a breath and be with it, and keep breathing. It's it's letting it all happen and not pushing it away, but finding a way to learn how to be with it. That's what meditation is. Mm -hmm. And in Mm -hmm. that, it's weird because if you do this as a regular practice, over time, that bliss that you're looking for or that serenity happens because you learn how to be with it. And let's be real, life is that way. You're never going to be out in your life and have this constant state of bliss. So if you know how to be with you know, a rocky road that sometimes is not rocky and and, and you just can go with the flow – you're just in a much better position. And, and certainly, as you well know, going through something like cancer, it, there are so many challenges that you have to meet every single day. And most of them are challenges you don't really know. You know, you, you, have, you don't have an experience to draw from, and they're frightening. Right. You know, and you still mm-hmm. got to move through them. 
So, I did yeah, while I, I was going through my treatment. I did go one of the extra things I did, and again, it wasn't provided to me by anybody, but I just sought it out. Was I went to see a um, psychologist who specialized in hypnosis, and mm-hmm. um, we worked a lot on the meditation and mindfulness and. To this day, this is one of the changes that I made. I try to reduce the stress in my life. And like you say, you can't avoid it. You can't just walk around in this you know, mindful state constantly. But uh, Because eventually, too, you kind of get back into life. But if you have the tools to remind you of what you need to do, I think that um, you do them. Let me just give you, for instance, I was in, uh, this was a few years ago, and I was in Home Depot. And I don't remember what happened, but... I wasn't getting waited on and they left me waiting and I couldn't get what I wanted. And before cancer, I would have been asking for the manager and kind of angry about the whole thing and probably in the manager's face saying, you know, why, how, do you, how are you running things? And instead I took a breath and I thought, that's not going to do me any good. And I went out to my car and I took some more deep breaths and I went home and I ordered it all online. There's always <laughs> options. Yep. That was a really good lesson for me then. I thought, wow, you know, and I never, ever would have done that before cancer. Right. No, I understand that there's many times I've chosen to take the path of least resistance or instead of mm-hmm. becoming, you know, super defensive about something, maybe I can see that, well, why don't I just take the offense and why don't I, you know, it, it's, and then there's times now where I have found going through cancer that there is opportunities where, I'm not going to let them pass and be passive aggressive or tiptoe around something. I'm going to find a skillful way to face it straight on and say, this is not going to work for me. And maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done that before because I, I do continue to feel this urgency that I want things in my life to be as streamlined as possible and, you know, not to have a bunch of misunderstandings or if there's people in my life that it's just, we aren't a good fit to release them with love and move on. I mean, it's just, it's become much better for me to travel lighter. Wow. That's you a know? great point. And I hear that quite frankly, a lot from people and they have trouble doing that, releasing the people in their life that are toxic or no longer good for them. Well, did they have any problems releasing the cancer? <laughs> that's the way I look at it. It's like, you know, yeah. even, and I never, honestly, this is the truth. I never, hated my cancer, you know, you see these things, hashtag, hate cancer, fuck cancer, you know, um, okay. cancer's my bitch. Yeah, right. Um, I, I looked at it because I knew the power of cancer, and I thought, no, 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 I, to take a line out of one of my favorite movies, The Big Lebowski, the dude abides, <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, cancer, I will abide. But I also knew that it would be counterproductive to hate something that is literally a part of me. Those are my cells. That's my cancer. So I'm, my feeling was I'm going to understand what this is and I'm going to work with these experts to release the cancer. And you know what, Tim? Mm. There never was a fight. It's not to say that I didn't go through a hell of a treatment protocol. That, that unto itself was um, a challenge for sure. But after the first chemotherapy, my tumor shrunk by more than half. And even my mm-hmm. doctor was blown away. And every day I just kept going, okay, thanks for showing up, but you're going to need to go now. And 
the cancer melted away until when I went in to do my surgery, there was just, you know, little bits of cells of it in the, the casing of my tumor. And my surgeon, Dr. Giuliano, said it was remarkable that, and that was even before I started the second round of the dreaded red devil. And um, so it, you know, I had a full response to the chemo, which was amazing. But part of it was there was no fight. And I think me not having to feel that internal, I'm going to fight you, I honestly believe that helped in the whole process of releasing the cancer so the cancer could just go away. (laughs) I think you're absolutely Um, right. And I think they've actually done studies to show that people who accept it do better than people who fight it. Absolutely. I, I would, I would, I mean, I'm sure you probably got reading my book. I think one of the underlying threads throughout the whole book is about surrender. Now, surrender mm-hmm. is not acquiescing. It isn't rolling over at all. In fact, surrender is an act of, you have to be mindful. And it's an, it's one of the highest forms of self-love, you know, as, mm-hmm. as those kids were, were hardwired for the resistance to come up and to say, I'm going to control this and I'm going to fight against this. So it is counterintuitive to take a breath and say, I'm just going to be with this and trust the process. I'm not going to mm-hmm. fight this, you know, and no, I did something this, quite similar. Uh huh. What did you do? I, after the initial shock, because everybody who's ever heard those words, you know, we found a malignancy, the, the, it's pretty shocking. But after the initial shock, I got really, really calm for some reason, almost zen-like, and that's not me at all. But I got almost zen-like, and I thought, well, if it's my time, it's my time, but I'm going to do everything I can to stay here. I never, I kept waiting, I thought, well, boy, I'm going to get really upset here in a minute. <laughs> uh, the other shoe's going to drop, I'm going to be really upset about this cancer thing. Um, and I had a 15% chance of survival. I thought, I'm, any day now, I'm going to be really upset. And I never did. I got very accepting of it and said, but I'm going to do everything I possibly can. And I changed my life to stay here. Mm-hmm. I totally makes sense to me. And, and I, I don't know in the very beginning, I definitely, you know, after I think between shock and acceptance, I sort of was in this numb state for a while but as I started to defrost and as I'm going through, mm-hmm. you know, a huge battery of all kinds of tests to figure out because the type of, you know, triple negative is so virulent and it moves so fast. They call it the pancreatic breast cancer. And, you know, they had to immediately look at every aspect of my, my bones, my brain, my spine, my everything to see if it had moved and how they were going to deal with it. And so that part was frightening. But once, we got, it was in all of that that I really started to go, you know what, being anxious isn't going to change what the outcome is. Can you just be with this not knowing? And mm-hmm. I really started to focus on being with the not knowing. And that was my first, that was like the door that opened up into my flow of being mm-hmm. with this experience. And, um, you know, I don't know that I'd ever want to do it again, but it was amazing. It, it really was one of the most amazing things I've ever gone through. And I recently was talking to a friend who said um, something like the hardest thing that a, uh, any human being can go through is childbirth. And I said, well, maybe, but 
I, I tend to think going through serious cancer treatment is probably a little bit more challenging. And then she kind of pauses, and she's a nurse, uh, a hospice nurse. She pauses, and she went, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> but, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's really not a, it's not a competition, but there is something right. about going through what you and I have gone through that it's, you know, and many, many other people have too, and we understand it's, it is um, it's pretty amazing. Hey, Kat, uh, tell me about uh, your process of what made you do your book. Okay, so... What inspired you? I did... Through your cancer. Well, <laughs> besides the cancer. Well, I, in the beginning, I didn't... I wasn't doing this process to make a book. That wasn't my intention at all. I needed a process because, like I said, I'm a longtime meditation practitioner, and I certainly knew that that would be part of my repertoire of, of the things that I could do to help support my body and my mind as I went through this. And, you know, obviously I did acupuncture and Reiki and I, you know, got cranial sacral work done and, and walked. And I mean, I, I juiced and did everything I could on a holistic level, but I knew that, that all of those felt right to do but they didn't necessarily bring me joy. And Mm -hmm. I also understood that I I truly have no control, you know, over all of the stuff. Cancer to me was a huge wake-up call that we think that we have control over our lives and we really don't. So I thought, well, what is the one thing that I have a very strong choice in? Well, the choice is to be with this, right? And then I'm like, well, how could I be with this experience? Because I did choose to be with the experience. And I thought, well, I'm a photographer. And what brings me joy is making photographs. And so I decided that I would take photographs every day of life as I, you know, because I, you know, in my walks that I would take every afternoon just to keep, you know, oxygen in my system and moving and being in the sun. And, you know, so I started taking photographs. And the funny thing that happened was as I continued on this practice of making photographs and I knew it, it, it was very meditative to me. It is just another form of meditation. Um, I started to see that things would call out to me, you know, on my path. And I, I would examine and look even closer. And the longer that I did this, I realized that it was like the universe was meeting me to say, come, you belong to us. You know, and it was so my mortality got to meet the vibrancy of life. And I got, and, and doing that also gave me a chance to look at areas within my own being that maybe were overlooked or I felt reticent to look at. So the process of this all, the reverberations of it were incredible. And it was over time that I realized there's something here you know, that I need to share. And my friends who I'm close with started to insist to me, your story is incredible. And these photographs are amazing. You need to share these with the world. And then once it kind of clicked in me that, yep, they're right. Then I knew that I wanted to make this into a book. So that was how it all came about. Your photographs are stunning, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. The photographs still, when I look at them, bring me joy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I can recall each place that 
that I was at when I made that photograph and, you know, who I maybe encountered or what the light looked like or what it felt like it, they, all of them piqued every bit of my senses. Mm-hmm. So, and I hope that the viewer gets a sense of my, that, that immediacy too. Mm-hmm. I started for myself too. I didn't start to write a cookbook. I just started cooking for me for my own health. And then I had everything kind of scribbled on a little piece of paper uh, and as literally a couple of years went by, um, I had lots and lots of little pieces of paper and I thought, you know what, I, I should probably pull this together for a cookbook. This would probably help somebody. And, uh, it took me probably a couple of more years to actually pull it together and get all my friends and relatives and whatever to test the recipes. But I did not start out. Um, in the same place I ended up, as it sounds you did the same. Right. Well, and that's that's the beauty of how life really works, is if we can just stay in the flow of how it is, who knows what can be revealed, you know? I, I would have never thought when I got diagnosed that here I am just a few years later getting ready for my book to go into the world. It's, I, it's still, I feel the sense of pinch me. You know, I can't believe this. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and like your book, which, by the way, I loved because I'm a cook, you know, and I cook a lot mm -hmm. of my food. And I went through um, your book. And the good news was I thought, phew, boy, we certainly have similar uh, ways of cooking things and how you put things together and you, your book gave me a lot of ideas, too, of things where I can modify and make them even more healthy. The only thing I noticed for me that would be different is that you use a lot of um, soy milk. I'm allergic to soy, so I can't use soy. And also they say with people with breast cancer, soy is not good to eat too much of. But um, I just I can't eat it. So, But that's interchangeable. That, you could use anything. You could use could nonfat milk. Some people don't do any absolutely rice milk, anything. Oh, cool. All right. It's all interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. I use, I use almond milk and most of my things and I use Mm -hmm. regular cow's milk on occasion for things, just depending, but I tend to mostly use almond milk. Um, Mm -hmm. but it, but your recipes are great. And the thing that I also really liked about your recipes is that everything in that book, from my perspective is affordable. I mean, this is something that you that families that you know have that they have to follow a budget. They could make so many of the things that you have in your cookbook, and and it wouldn't break their budget, and they're getting these very tasty nutritional meals. Well, that you actually know? is is was important to me, and it's kind of how I live my life. I think you can stay healthy shopping at your regular grocery store. I mean, as I'm sure you know, and many, many people oh, know, yeah. you know, shopping at Whole Foods or the health food store and getting all organic can be incredibly expensive, um, especially if you've got a family. Um, but I, I think that you can stay healthy by making better choices at your grocery store. I personally just shop at Ralph's. I love Ralph's. Um, I don't, I go and they Whole Foods every now and then, but my main grocery store is Ralph's and I don't have, it's also anything you can get at Ralph's. I, when, if you have to go order something online or drive far to get it or don't even know what it is when you read it, it it's not for me. It's just regular right. food for regular meals for regular families. 
Absolutely. And the thing is, for me, I, I shop at Trader Joe's, the farmer's markets mm-hmm. in my neighborhood, and Vaughn's, which is what's the closest market in my where I live. And between the three of them, I'm completely fine. There's also a Lassen's, which is a health food store near me. And there's a couple items up there that I really like and I get. And um, But, that, I mean, all of it is pretty affordable, you know. Um, Mm -hmm, And now mm -hmm. my other question is, are you making, you are making your own yogurt or, and I didn't quite understand yogurt cheese. You know, yogurt cheese is really just yogurt with the whey drained out. And I use a lot of yogurt in like baking. And so Uh that becomes real thick then. But I also put in there, I believe, that you can that that has become big now, much more popular. Um, you can use Greek Greek yogurt. It is it's the same thing. However, oh, Greek okay. yogurt because it's become so popular, as with almost any food, you need to read the labels because some Greek yogurt is really just Greek yogurt. They've taken you know really fine yogurt and they have drained the whey out of it. Other stuff they'll put some kind of gum in it or something to thicken it up. But if you just get regular Greek yogurt, it's the same as yogurt cheese. It's it takes it could take an hour, maybe even a half an hour. All the whey just drains out of it, and you're left with a much thicker substance. I see. So you just put it like in a fine sieve or 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 colander. Exactly. And just put or the, cheesecloth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or cheesecloth. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Yeah, because mm-hmm. there's so many things I was like, oh, that's good, and then I could do this and that. You know, I, I, you really offer so many options that, you know, because I think I read somewhere that the average person pretty much has a, a repertoire of about seven meals that they make over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. And I, I probably do more than that because um, I am a cook. But so you're a cook. I do you like know to cook, that, yeah. I like to cook and I like, you know, well, the other thing too, it is, it's more cost effective and you know what you're eating, you know, that, and and that's the whole thing, you know what you're eating. And certainly now in my recovery, well, I'm not always an angel. I mean, there's times that I eat things that are on your bad list. Um, It's so, I don't, it's just not very often because on the good, your good list, I'd say, most of those things I eat on a very regular basis and don't feel cheated at all. You know, I like, I like healthy food that I like real food, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, and real spices. And I think what I've learned too, and I'm sure you'll agree that the key to making any food good is good spicing. Um, and I told a friend of mine, I said, any, I go, if you have olive oil and garlic, you, you pretty much are done. You're good. (laughs) So, um, yeah, and then I was also interested that you had more sugar. You know, we, we have talked about this before, but more recipes that deal that have sugar in them. And there's this myth in the cancer world that we're not supposed to eat any sugar whatsoever, that sugar feeds cancer. And I don't think that's true. And I was really happy to see in your book, you dispel that myth. That is a myth. What it really does is, you know, spike your insulin level. It creates obesity, which is not good for cancer. And if you notice, the sugar I have is I don't use refined sugar. I use a natural sugar. 
and I use it yep. really, really sparsely. Any of the baked goods I have in there are, I just got used to a different kind of flavor. I don't, nothing is terribly sweet. I use it minimally. When I go occasionally to a party or whatever and there's a birthday cake, I'll have to give me just a little slice just, just to be polite. It's so, it's so disgustingly sweet to me now that I can't even mm-hmm. eat it. Right. Right. And what, and what is really important to me, and it's kind of become my passion in life, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but honestly, I, I feel like I would one person at a time, one interview at a time, try to get change the face of cancer by changing what we put in our supermarket carts because we eat so very, very poorly in this country. It absolutely adds to the cancer rate. Absolutely, but I think that um, we we eat our food the same way that we live our lives, and that is looking for instant gratification. And everybody's looking for something that's easy, and they don't have to put much time into it. It's just sustenance to put into their bodies. And um, I do slowly see that changing a bit. It, I feel like it, it is getting better as more and more, you know, science comes out and more options are there. You know, I, I don't believe that someone has to be a vegan as a cancer patient. I do believe that we, you should be eating a very rich vegetable and fruit diet, but I don't think you need to be mm-hmm. um, a vegan. Some people would argue with me, but uh, you know, I, I just think you need to eat what's good for you. I typically eat primarily vegetarian and every once in a while I have some fish or some chicken and, and a rare blue moon, not very often, once, maybe twice a year, I'll eat red meat, just depending. Mm-hmm. But I don't really I, I pretty it. much do the same, except I do not do red meat. That's just, I don't do red meat or processed meat. But right. getting back to how I think that we need to change how we eat in this country. Um, just for instance, last year I went to the Strawberry Festival up in Oxnard. The Strawberry mm-hmm. Festival, you'd think, right? The only thing that was healthy to eat there was the flats of strawberries you could buy going in or going out and people were lined up the food court was incredible and you've got you know deep fried strawberries and uh we've I mean, got carnival food you know the hot dogs and the hamburgers and the corn dogs and the pastrami and whatever there was nothing there nothing nothing not even a booth i could go to that anything was healthy to eat and that's what that's we're used wild. to, and I think it's a matter of habit. This is how we eat, and it's very difficult to get people to change their their pattern. But it is. I have been to Relay for Lifes, which is the American Cancer Society's. They they raise money, and all they have they have food trucks there with corn with corn dogs, and and bacon trucks. It's it's our comfort food, but we need to change that because with that. Science is now saying that literally one out of every two children being born today is going to get cancer in their lifetime. And the UK oh is saying gosh. two out of three, two out of three out of the United Kingdom. So if we could cut those odds, cut those in half by just eating differently, we need to do it. We need to do it for right. our children and our grandchildren. They need to make this change. And I think until you've, again, you've had cancer, it's really hard to make that effort. It is. Well, and I think that also to add on to what your, you know, call for action is, 
I believe that we need to teach our children and adults who haven't learned, but I think teach our children how to be mindful. You know, they have done studies of having mindfulness within the school system where kids, you know, maybe are meditating 15 minutes a day and they are seeing, you know, a drop of aggression in the classroom, more connection between the students, the students' homework has been is being turned in and the quality of the work they're doing is better. Um, it, it's, it's, it, this is fact, you know? And so if a person, and then when you add in the other element of creative expression, which of course our society just, you know, it's so low on the level of what we think is important, right. you know, and, mm-hmm. and when you add the ability to be a creation, you know, a creator, um, that is really powerful stuff. And people, we all are creative people, you know, someone may not end up becoming an artist like I did, but, but it doesn't mean that they aren't creative and maybe their creativity like you is in the kitchen. I think cooking is an incredibly creative endeavor. I really do. I agree. And, Mm -hmm. And it's an art form. And I think there's many art forms. And if people, you know, what I hope, through my book, you know, being exposed to the world is that people can see that they can be mindful and creative and turn that into a simple and meaningful practice that they do in their lives. I, every day I continue to do, I call it, you know, it's my 10 mile radius. I continue every day to mindfully make photographs. It is my practice Mm -hmm. now. It is part of my DNA you know, and it's a mm-hmm. way that keeps me in the moment. And one thing I've learned many years ago, you know, from one of my good Dharma teachers was saying, the safest place that you can be is in the present moment. You're not dragged down by regret from your past and you're not being forced into the future filled with anxiety of what might be. You are with what is. And we, all of us can handle what is. You know, and so if you do these practices like I did that keep you in the present moment, it does actually spill over into your ability to be more in the moment of what is. It just does. It's like you're building a muscle. So I think that these two things that we're talking about are both not only can be, you know, a a prevention for illness, it can be a way to get through your illness with better outcomes and then recover in a much more healthy manner. I totally agree. I totally agree with everything you just said. I think that we just need to keep talking and letting the, and I think, I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean, when I looked at your cookbook, it, it excited me because, you know, I've got plenty of cookbooks and some of them are really good, but what was so great about your cookbook was it not only did I know that, the choices that you were, that you had made as a chef and put in the book were healthy and that would be good for me. Like I said, it's just, it's really dense. It's filled with all kinds of options. You're never going to get bored. I mean, I could, I could cook out of your book for years and not cook everything, you know, um, unless I wanted to do a Julia on Julie thing where I cook one recipe a day. <laughs> You know, what you're saying about mindfulness and and what I'm saying about nutrition, you know, Joe Biden, before he left office, started that moonshot to try to cure cancer in our lifetime. 
And it's my belief that we already hold that right in our hands, almost. Only 15% of cancers are genetic. Uh, we have that ability, and we just aren't doing it. We aren't doing it as a nation. We are doing it primarily, mostly as the world. Um, we have the ability to almost eradicate cancer with lifestyle changes. That this also would include cleaning up our environment. Um, I've spoken with some of my doctors. I've done research, sure. and I believe that a lot of the cancers that are the reason why the incidence of cancer just continues to rise is because our water table has been contaminated, our food sources are contaminated, the air we breathe is contaminated, and you know the fact that people continue to put it off because it's an inconvenience in the short term for corporations to make money is despicable. And this isn't the world I want to leave for children and their children. Sure. And it's more than even the people we leave the world for. It is arrogant and unfair of us to use this beautiful resource that we have and pollute it. And I'm, you know, sickened by, well, the current administration is a joke, but I mean, not, to, I mean, we could, <laughs> we could go on and on also about what they're going to trying to do to healthcare and they'll pull it through and millions of people will die and they don't care because they want to just make sure rich people stay rich, you know, which rich people will, it will never affect them if they can't get it, you know, have access to healthcare because they always will be able right. to because they have money. Right. You know, and right. that imbalance of people even thinking that it's okay that, that that can happen, not to mention not believing in climate change and how we have right. a moral responsibility um, for a myriad of reasons, right? But one of them is illness. You know, it's it, this will help prevent cancer. So you do these things, you know, if people have affordable health care and we take care of the environment, both of those things not only keep people more healthy, it literally helps the economy. It makes the economy stronger. So it's so challenging to live in a world where you can see logic and yet people just keep doing the same old shit and expecting different results. And that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, and we may not be able to change that because that is a difficult thing. It is not difficult to go to the grocery store and make better changes or to, you know, take deep breaths and uh, try to de-stress. Absolutely. And, that that stuff no, not, we hold not, right in our palm right now, and by doing that and not smoking and getting your screenings when you're supposed to and staying out of the sun, two-thirds of all cancers could be eradicated, two-thirds, right now. Right. Oh, I agree. And I was just talking about the bigger picture, and, and I do think that we all right. have a responsibility to help try to solve that problem and not just throw up our hands and say, I can't do anything and just sort of, you know, settle into cynicism. Ah. That's not going to help the problem. No, but that's I perfect think though. You're perfect. That falls right into what I was going to say. Exactly. I think people tend to throw up their hands on cancer cat and say, Oh, it's out of my control. Oh, it's the environment. It's oh, it's genetics. And it's not. 
Well, but I mean, the majority of it, and then it gives people me, a reason to go in denial, I think. Go ahead. I agree. And I was just going to say, you, a perfect example of what you just said was, because I come from this family line of cancer that's so strong, I have first degree, you know, breast cancer with my mother, second degree breast cancer with my aunt, and, you know, and then all these other people. So I knew that I had, I was high risk for cancer. I already knew that. And so because of that, I chose before I got diagnosed to alter my lifestyle and to be more careful. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I quit smoking. I was like, this is ridiculous. You cannot smoke. So I quit, you Mm -hmm. know, and then I started incorporating better foods and being more regular with my exercise. And I do take vitamins. I take vitamins. I juice. I do these things. I meditate because I, I thought, well, I can at least give it my best shot. Well, like I said, right. you know, it didn't prevent me getting cancer, but it certainly helped me get through it. And who knows what my outcome would have been had I not been taking good care of myself. You know, sure. so mm-hmm. you're abs- you're a- and you're absolutely right. You know, and um, and people need to take charge of their lives. And again. They're looking, I think, and this is more on a huger, you know, level, people are looking outside of themselves for someone to save save them. And there's a, you know, a mantra that the Buddha says, and it's one of mine, is you save yourself or you remain unsaved. And I, I really believe that one of the things that would help our world is if people took more personal responsibility out of love for themselves. And when you do that, it, it again, it becomes exponential and you have more love to give others mm-hmm. and, and to be more proactive about, you know, healthy food and treating your body well and treating the environment well. I mean, the environment is just another version of our bodies. You know what I mean? It's like we're all walking around being our own environment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so... You know, um, yeah, but it's people like you and I just need to keep talking. And there's, there is, the good news is there's plenty of people like us that are out there championing for a better world and a better self. And, and again, I don't even, part of me doesn't even judge people. They just don't know or they're afraid. I think that people stay suck, stuck because they're afraid of change. You know, and change I think change is, is very it's, difficult. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Is. But this this is what I tell people. I say, you know, make one small change. One small change. If you eat a cheeseburger every day for lunch, switch to a chicken sandwich one day a week. Then maybe you'll switch to a fish sandwich. Maybe you'll have a salad eventually. But just make that change. Right. And I, one small change. I feel like if you put someone who is, you know, they're in a really, you know, they don't eat well and, and suddenly they're like, yeah, I know, I should really just be a vegan, and they're living on McDonald's, their body craves that kind of food. And if they just did like a cold turkey and the next day started living on raw food, they couldn't, it'd be so doubtful that they could sustain that. And and I think that change should be incremental, you know. And again, the good thing is, like we were just saying earlier in our conversation, when you get a diagnosis that dire and you're awake and you know, like, oh, my God, I, I might die, you know, like, or not, well, not might, we all are going to die, but I, this might kill me, and I'm not ready to go. It's a lot of motivation to say, 
I'm going to make some changes a little quicker. <laughs> you know, like I, mm-hmm. I don't have time for this anymore. And so th- that that is one of the gifts that come out of cancer. I do want to address where you said cancer is the gift. I don't think that cancer is no gift, the cancer itself. But I think that from an experience like this, it's so it's such a you know it's a crisis, and within that crisis, there are many gifts that can be born from it if you're awake to it. You know, I've met numerous people who have gone through cancer and haven't changed a bit, you know, and they, Mm -hmm. all they want to do is go back to their life. They're like, I just want my life to be normal. Well, and I know this is an overused phrase. There is a new normal, you know, you're never going to have the old normal again, ever. And if you want to pretend like you have it and people do that too, then it's just a form of denial that you're living in. And that eventually it's going to come back back and bite you in the butt, not necessarily with a reoccurrence per se, but it it means that you you haven't really done the emotional processing that you need to, you know. Um, and that's another aspect of making my book. And I don't know how you felt about when you made your book, but um, having to relive my story and write it, and then I also had to relive my mother's cancer story because you know her story was part of my story. And, um, mm-hmm. but having to do that again, it was really, it was a challenge. I mean, there was moments where it just gutted me, but I was able to stay with it. And over time, as the book took form and my story took form, it was the most brilliant form of journaling, so to speak, that I think any person who has gone through something so serious could do after the thing. Because when you're in the middle of cancer treatment, you know, there's only so much you can actually take in and then just self-preservation kicks in. Right. But once Mm -hmm. you come out of it and you're in the recovery phase, and that's something I think we also need to talk more about in healthcare circles and in the real world, that recovery takes a long time and it's a huge component of going through cancer. Many people think that they go through cancer, they do the treatment when they ring their bell that chemo is done or the radiation is done, they're done. Oh, no, 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 no. They're not right. even done. They're not even close to being done. And so it's in that recovery period as we recover nerve damage or grow our hair back or, you know, whatever it is that we have to, you know, recover physically. This is the time that we recover also all the emotions that maybe we couldn't sit with or, and we also I found I looked at that's when I could have that I could take stock and determine what I no longer needed in my life and what I would mm-hmm. I would no longer tolerate in my life mm-hmm. and make those choices mm-hmm. to really it was a form of of maturation really and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, so you know and then there came a time that oh God I've got to recover start working on recovering my finances again because you know cancer wipes you out financially. And then I've got to recover this and my, Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's just so many things that we go through and it's a long-term commitment to reclaiming your life. But well, it's a long-term, I mean, 13 years, I still do it. Right. Uh, Absolutely. And I don't, I don't think that there's ever a point that you come that you're like, Hey, I'm good. I'm perfect. I have nothing more to recover. (laughs) You know, I kind of feel like I'm committed to this recovery and this new way of being, you know, that this is, mm-hmm. this is the way I want to, I want to move through my life. And, 
if I'm lucky enough to live a full life, you know, what is a full life? I don't know, live to be well into my 80s. Um, I'm going to appreciate every day. And I think that's another point is that we feel like we're entitled to a long life. Like, well, of course, we're supposed to live, you know, to be 87. Well, that's not necessarily Mm -hmm. true. You know, and we just assume that we're entitled to that. Well, we're not. And illness is a normal function of life. You know, and some people make it and some people don't. And accidents happen and things happen. And so because we know that, well, we know it, but we don't want to really live with that reality because it's too frightening. We keep running away from that. I think we should be going towards it, you know, ease into it. That's where we find our salvation is knowing that we are that mortal, you know, and Mm -hmm. appreciating each day. And w- mm-hmm. whether we have cancer or not, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think that's, but that's really what cancer important. gives us that the other people who have not had it probably don't have. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's true. So for that, there's that, that, that silver lining. Well, Kat, this has been great talking to you. I'm wondering if we should wrap this up. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been really great. And I hope that we get to meet someday. And if I have any questions about your recipes, I'm reaching out. <laughs> Please do, and um, I, I, I totally enjoy your book. I think it's just stunning, and I hope that I guess we both go on to get the most out of our lives each day and enjoy the gift that cancer has given us or the experience Absolutely. that cancer has given us. And I hope that my hope is both of our books can help those who, you know, certainly or have gone through cancer or are in the middle of treatment, but also like we were saying that it can be an eye opener to those who aren't ill and hopefully can prevent any sort of, you know, a a catastrophe illness and understand the value of prevention and, um, and letting that preventative way of being just become their way of being. And so they can live a rich and full life filled with good nutrition and mindfulness and creativity, which just enriches lives and helps connections to others and to the earth. I think both our books help to do that, hopefully. I think Yeah. I think I hope both so our too. books do that. hmm Yeah. Well it's great talking to you, Pam. Same here. Kat, have a good day. <laughs>